Let me get things started then. Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and we are continuing our Advent series called The King Shall Come. Uh, we have had the first two weeks of the series so far, The King Shall Come, He is Coming to Save Us, Prepare to Meet Him, and today, The King Shall Come, He is Bringing Perfect Joy. Uh, with us for this series are Pastor Caleb Shanick from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in College Station, Texas, and Pastor Nathan Beagy from Victory of the Lamb Lutheran Church in Katy, Texas. So uh, Nathan and Caleb, thanks for being with us again. Let's talk a little bit about this third Sunday of the King Shall Come series. Caleb, could you tell us a little bit about the main theme for this week? The King Shall Come and Bring Perfect Joy. Um, there's absolutely no doubt about that. But thematically, as we're at this point in Advent, uh, there might be a little bit of a question of just how perfect some of the themes line up. Um, in the, uh, the resources from the foundation, uh, we'll see the word joy there, the perfect joy. And if you're familiar with uh, some of the different uh, historic ways of categorizing the, the Sundays of Advent, uh, you might have the hope, peace, joy, love um, outline in your mind. You might also have uh, the watch, prepare, rejoice, behold outline in your mind. And then, and of course, there's the Bethlehem prophecy, angels and shepherds uh, outline as, as well. And uh, we see joy having its prominent place here on this, this third Sunday of Advent. So uh, the king does come with perfect joy. Um, and uh, one of the ways that we, that we see the joy come through uh, in this Sunday is in the identity of who our king is, what our king does, and how we respond to the king. So um, th that'll show itself in the readings uh, quite clearly, I think. And if you're following along with the commentary on the propers, uh, you'll see some good insights into the uh, thematic thought of identity there as well. So the king shall come. Right. He brings perfect joy and uh this is a good Sunday to focus on that. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And good reminder. Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably doing it in conjunction with the foundation resources and our, our thematic series, but commentary on the proper is always good to look at. And you'll find a lot of great information in there too. So refer to that um, if you haven't yet. Um, Nathan, could we hear a little bit about the uh, second reading and the gospel today before we get into the first reading as our sermon text. Do you just remind us of what the other readings are? Yes, I'd be glad to do that. So joy, identity, those are kind of the key themes, and they certainly come through in, in John 1 there, as John the Baptist very clearly announces his identity. I am not the Messiah. He couldn't say it any more plainly. And along with that, he not only said who he wasn't, he also pointed to the one who gives us identity that has lasting joy. And they gave him identity that gave him lasting joy. As he said, there's one coming. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And yet 
he's the one to focus your attention on. And he's also the one that gives me my joy, gives me my importance. So even though I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, I'm not just slumping through life and a total loser and, and why bother even walking anymore or, or having a purpose at all. No, he, he is very important because he is pointing to the one whose sandals he's not worthy to untie. And that's where his identity and his joy come from. And that, of course, all centers around repentance and, and uh, so mm -hmm. on. The second reading from First Thessalonians is kind of like a uh, bang, 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 rapid fire, sanctification, encouragements, just one after the next, after the next, after the next. And it describes the life of the believer who is full of joy and who has, has grasped and has identity in Christ. And then as you're reading through that, you, you might think to yourself, but that's really hard to live as uh, this is being described, always thankful, pray continually, joy all the time, so on. And that's why verse 23, I, I noted in First Thessalonians there as being such a powerful one, that God himself, the God of peace, will sanctify you through and through. He is faithful. He will do it. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. as we are debating inside, how could I possibly live in this way? God wants me to live now that my identity is in him and it's, it's uh, centering in joy. God is faithful and he will, he will do that for you as well. And so it's not at all like he gives you his identity through justification and then leave sanctification up to you by yourself. It's, it's actually the, the yeah. opposite. So. Right. Yeah. I love those, those closing verses of that section, right? God will do it. He is faithful. Um, then let's go to our first reading for the Sunday, which will be our sermon text for the week, Isaiah 61 verses one through three and 10 and 11. <clears throat> and I could just quickly mention these verses uh, seem familiar. That's because typically we read from Isaiah 61 uh, during the Epiphany season, when we hear about Jesus at the synagogue in Nazareth, um, he opens up the scroll and reads from this book. And in fact, uh, next electionary year, year C, in the Epiphany season, that will be one of the readings, Isaiah 61, 1 through 6. Um, and uh, also, it probably rarely occurs, uh, but the second Sunday after Christmas, um, you'll also see this in one of the years, uh, verses 10 and 11, and then going on into chapter 62. Um, so uh, you might have encountered this section before, most often in the Epiphany season, but now it, we'll see today, I think it's really fitting for Advent and this theme of joy uh, on this third Sunday in Advent, um, really a great fit as well. So um, Caleb, could you just get us started as we discuss this text, um, just highlighting any noteworthy points that might be helpful for preachers? To start by zooming in and then also zooming out, um, if I were a skeptic, and um, and I, I'm not, but uh, if I were and I saw a section of the Bible that was selected for um, for presentation, and there was an ellipsis in there, you're like, huh? I wonder what they're what are they skipping over? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, as a preacher, I, I do very much uh, sometimes think, why are we skipping over these verses? Or or maybe what I'm really saying is, 
I want to make sure I handle these in their context uh, the best that I can. And, and so it's good to be aware of those. And so if, uh, if you've looked at those interior verses, verses four through nine, uh, they really do two things there. One, uh, it just picks up on the idea of verse three, they will be called oaks of righteousness. And then it goes off to say more about who they are. And it gives us more uh, classic Isaiah uh, descriptions of, of these uh, people. Um, and then there's a big shift in verse, uh, between verse seven and eight, uh, verse eight and nine is the Lord talking. So uh, you'll see some quotation marks there. I, the Lord, love justice, <clears throat> so on and so forth. Uh, but then significant to note that when we get to verse 10 and we see the first person pronoun pop up again, I delight greatly in the Lord, that's obviously right. not the Lord talking. So, so we really have a nice division here uh, in verses 1 to 3 and then 10 and 11. Uh, so 1 to 3 uh, really give us, again, more classic Isaiah poetry, uh, vivid descriptions of who God is and what he does. Uh, and then verses 10 through 11, uh, 10 and 11, uh, they, they really talk about the response of the believer to, um, to the Lord and his love. So um, the king serves, and then uh, the, uh, the response of those who are served. So zooming out then, uh, the thing that really um, tugged at me as I was preparing for this podcast and, and just studying this text um, is so often, and especially in Advent, um, but uh, so so often, how should I not have known Isaiah would be there, right? And you, you have these isolated mm -hmm. places where there's such vivid language, you know, uh, a virgin will give birth to a son. Uh, and, and then we, we almost forget that they are in the context of Isaiah. And so zooming out, uh, I, I really was caught up again in the history of Isaiah and the division of his book uh, into Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 2 and, and ministering to the people in Jerusalem um, in, in the first 39 chapters, uh, and then really writing to a different audience in, uh, in chapters 40 to, to the end of the book. Uh, and so that audience that he's writing to um, are those who are returning from captivity. And so we know that to be the, the context of Isaiah, and that word explicitly comes up here uh, in this text, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me uh, because he has anointed me to do all of these things. And one of the things that he has uh, been anointed to do uh, is to proclaim freedom for the captive. Uh, I think when handling this text, just bringing in some of that context of Isaiah for this, uh, this sermon in particular could be extremely beneficial um, as far as painting the picture of what the first audience would have heard and thought as they read this. Uh, and then obviously the generations after it, um, we're a generation after it too, but, uh, but so far removed, we maybe get lost in the thought of having been captives and having been set free. Um, but, uh, but boy, as Isaiah would have been writing this for himself and his first audience in those first generations, how vivid and powerful freedom for the captive would have been. Uh, and then to see that this is then even a greater freedom from an even greater captivity. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Those pictures of freedom uh, release from darkness um, really jump out at us from the first verses of the text. 
Um, Nathan, can I turn things over to you just to highlight uh, other points you saw in the text or things that might get preachers thinking as they move along with their sermon writing? Yeah, th there's so much in here. Um, it, it really is uh, one of those texts where you might choose to just preach on a verse or highlight a verse, even though you're going to try to cover the whole thing, perhaps. But uh, I'll, I'll talk about just the first verse there, the first half of the first verse even. What did God the Father send God the Son to do? He anointed him, set him apart for this special purpose to proclaim good news to the poor and so on and so forth. And uh, you can see there, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and, and the Hebrew word behind the, the verb sent is the, the usual one, shalak, but uh, the idea there that God has sent his son to, to have this special mission and, and like a, the 911 dispatcher has dispatched the, the paramedics to zoom as fast as possible to the, the people in trouble that that is what the father sent the son to do for us. And the, the difference between where we are without Jesus and then where we are in Jesus, of course, could not be more striking. And there's, there's uh, several different vivid descriptions of it. But uh, maybe, maybe I'll also just, just mention how, how special it is to think of of who we are in the end. And the, the big challenge for any seasoned Christian or seasoned pastor, and I'll certainly put myself in that category as well, to, to have Christmas time is, can I get ready for Christmas again? As, as someone who, who has heard this before and has led people through this before, can I Imagine what it's like if Jesus had not come or if he came, but I didn't know because of whatever reason. And if, if you can ask God to help you preach this text in a way that you will be able to help everyone in the pew imagine the despair and the, the captivity and the brokenheartedness of life without Christ, then you really will have helped them in in their faith yeah 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 good encouragement as we approach preaching this text uh during this season um so there are so many vivid word pictures i mean that's what well, we've mentioned it already but i mean so many nathan you said maybe too many even to deal with or do justice to in one sermon. But I would think it's a, a case for preachers to um yeah take your pick of these vivid pictures. So um what I think of when I think of this text is uh, contrasting the negative and the positive or kind of the law and the gospel pictures. Um, what, uh, so darkness versus light, uh, captivity versus freedom, or in verse three there, um, you know, crown of beauty instead of ashes, uh, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Um, 
that's just one idea, though. Um, how are you guys approaching like preaching law and gospel from this text? Um, and you've Caleb mentioned it a little bit already, thinking in terms of the first audience and what Isaiah is speaking to them. And Nathan, you said, yeah, we can relate to that too, uh, helping people understand the pictures that are here. But other thoughts on on preaching law and gospel and how you're thinking of going about it, uh, Caleb. Yeah, you. You caught my drift the first time, and I'm just going to drift right back to it, the original context. Um, you know, there would have been a time of captivity uh, before there would have been a time of freedom. Um, and, uh, and, and then just kind of moving things along a little bit shortly after Isaiah, when they did go into captivity, um, there's that encouragement in there. Um, I forget the exact verse where it says, settle down. Um, plant crops, make homes for yourselves, and uh, so on and so forth. But just trying to think of what the emotions of the people would have been like, um, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me if there were emotions of, uh, okay, so you've promised release from our captivity. Why isn't it here yet? Right. Um, or or this, this thought of um, the, you know, can I, can I trust what you've said? Um, you've promised freedom, but I, I don't know that, um, that I can believe you. Um, and then even the complacency, um, I, I cited the passage before about settle down, build homes, plant gardens, um, but uh, but just the complacency of oh yeah it's not coming yet so um, I can I can maybe be a little more secular uh, than than I would otherwise feel the importance of being uh, because uh, because I'm I'm just complacent so uh, with that being the the historical context um, the application I think just comes real quickly as far as specific law uh, these questions that uh, that make me ask. What's my problem? What's my error? And um, and and just kind of advancing one of those thoughts a little bit. Um, you know, I I just wonder sometimes when when I'm faced with my own sins and when I see the sins that face my people too, where we're just kind of like, that's eh, okay. I'm just I'm just going to hold on to that anger, that bitterness that uh, that I have. I'm I'm going to hold on to this pet sin or that pet sin. Um, because I'm a captive, and maybe he's not coming right now, and um, I don't, I don't know if he's coming for sure. Um, can I trust him? Um, and um, you know, it's like I, I feel like I'm entitled to finding some ways to find pleasure in my own life while I'm in this captivity, because God's not coming through for me in the way that I would want on the timeline that I would want him to. Right. Right. And uh, yeah. And we can spin off from there. Yeah, the the thought processes that that follow. Um, Nathan, your thoughts on on preaching law and gospel uh, from this text? I've been thinking about this is a a a strong opportunity to take these verses and talk about the pride that is behind despair. That when you are Sad, depressed, and not not a godly sadness as Jesus was at Lazarus's tomb, but uh, a me first sadness 
or or the godly sadness turns into a me first brokenheartedness captive darkness uh i'm poor poor me poor me type of stuff um it'll be important to not to, to preach in such a careful way that you don't carve up the person who is is clinically depressed or or who is having godly grief for sure but yet to also help out the person who has heard about Jesus, but then their despair and pride kind of together are saying, well, that probably doesn't apply to me though, because I still have suffering and I still have trouble. And, and um, Jesus, Jesus hasn't, I don't feel joyful. So therefore I don't think these verses really connect with me very well. You want to point out the sin there in their despair, which really is pride. And by that, I just mean the, the me first part of despair. And so I've been thinking about that a lot as I'm thinking about how to handle this text and help, help the believer to grow in their faith and repent of the part of them that, that would proudly insist on staying brokenhearted grabbing the bars of the jail and staying captive instead of mm-hmm. letting Jesus be in charge and, and provide full freedom just by his finished work alone. And uh, I'm going to keep dumping ashes on my head every single day because, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't deserve anything Jesus offers, even though he tells you that that doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and that's not even a factor because yeah. he's giving it, whether we deserve it or not. I think this is a, a unique chance to to preach about that and, and highlight all that right and it makes me think of the, the thoughts I, identity that was mentioned before in the yeah. commentary yeah who who am i um to jesus how do i view myself those types of questions come up caleb yeah i didn't comment on gospel and i think nate maybe just was commenting on law there too so if this is a time to pivot pivot yep. to that um, yep. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. I, I mean, the gospel is so front and center uh, in this text. And, you know, um, Jesus' baptism, uh, we oftentimes talk about him being anointed uh, at his baptism. And uh, I, I've tried to work through that in my mind just a little bit. You know, all the Old Testament anointing was with oil, not with water. Um, and just saying, what, how exactly do we get to the point where we say that Jesus' baptism uh, is his anointing. Well, I think one of the places, one of the reasons we say that is because of this passage. Um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is, not, is upon me because he has anointed me. Um, and, uh, you know, there it was, the father saying, this is my son whom I love. And the spirit of God was lightning, uh, lighting on him and descending upon him in the form of a dove. And, and so um, Christ's baptism, always pure gospel um, and, and definitely great opportunity to talk about our baptism playing right in with the identity. Um, you, you know, if if you look at the gospel for this Sunday, you see that John's identity wasn't lost, but it was lost in Christ. He lost his identity to the identity he had in Christ. It wasn't that he ceased to exist or that he wasn't important. Um, John the Baptist is a very well-known individual and always will be. Um, but his identity is tied inseparably together with Christ's identity. And so is ours uh, because of who he is and what he came to do. He came to be our savior. And one of the ways that he 
makes that salvation tangible for us is through our baptism, connecting us to him through his baptism. So um, just very front and center, again, powerhouse text from the Old Testament, um, gospel dripping everywhere. Yep, yep. And Nathan, you mentioned before the idea of uh, the rescue vehicles being dispatched to uh, help someone. There's another gospel thought right in the initial verses there. Um, Jesus sent by the Father to rescue. Um, I was also thinking another idea, I kind of mentioned it before, the contrast between the negative and the positive. Um, uh, God's great exchange, that imagery might be super familiar to some people. Maybe uh, we still use it um, in various ways for evangelism or instructing new Christians for basic law and gospel. But it's kind of jumping off the page at me here, too, in the different ways the God taking away one negative thing and giving us this beautiful thing in exchange. Um, and you have even um, Luther connects that great exchange with kind of bride-bridegroom imagery. And you've got that there in verses, uh, verse 10, especially coming about the the bridal uh, dress in place of something else. So yeah, kind of a great exchange thing, but not not just the great exchange, but helping people understand now, okay, what does this mean for me? For yeah, how how I view myself, how I view God, how I view this Jesus that um, uh, we're about to celebrate His arrival, His incarnation. Um, yeah, what does that mean now? Uh, what does it mean for yeah the way I look at life, what my attitude? Um, all these things kind of flow out of that. My new identity in Christ. Uh, the anointed one, uh, because he has taken uh, my ashes, given me a beautiful garment in exchange, um, those types of pictures. Um, so might be another angle for for the gospel that um, that the text, uh, even if it doesn't directly address it in those terms, God's great exchange, I think the language and the pictures are very much in line with that. Um, other thoughts about uh, uh, kind of Illustration, application. I mean, I say illustration when there's about a million word pictures right here in the text you can jump off of. So I don't think you have to go too far to find different illustrations. It's just a matter of picking a couple and unpacking and explaining the biblical imagery, maybe bring it up, you know, to modern terms or something like that. Uh, but I'll throw it out to you guys. Any ideas for illustration, application that might be helpful for preachers? Uh, Nathan? I think this is, yeah, like you said, pick one and go with it. And there's a dozen that, that you uh, can find pretty quickly. But one that's somewhat common, commonly known, I guess, would be, what if, what if Cinderella, everything happened just as Disney says it does, and the, the prince and the princess are supposed to go live happily ever after in the castle. But then almost as soon as they get in there, Cinderella takes her crown off and is starting to take her slippers off and, and all that. And the prince comes over and says, what are you doing? And she says, well, I, you know, I don't really deserve this crown. I, I've got to put these rags back on and go back across the street to my wicked stepmother's house. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of floors I need to scrub with a toothbrush. And, and thank you anyway, prince. It was nice knowing you, but I really, I mean, I just can't possibly accept or, or even feel right yeah. being here because this is not who I am. And I think I was mentioning before the attacking the, the sin of despair, which is really me first pride at the bottom of it. 
and where, where you won't accept what Jesus gave you yeah. in, in this warped way of thinking. And the, the martyrdom feels right, even though it's wrong. And, and um, that was one illustration that, that I've used in the past that, that seemed to hit home well with people who know that story. And probably most people do. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Um, Caleb, any suggestions? One illustration that came to mind for me was especially shifting into the second half of the text, uh, the response of the, the believer, um, where it says, we've been clothed with garments of salvation. Um, we're on the same team as, as God by his grace. Uh, he's, he's brought us onto his team. He's taken us who were by nature enemies of God. Um, and now he's, he's put us together as heirs of God. And um, there was a moment in the uh, 2022 World Cup when uh, there were two players from the same team that had to compete against each other. Of course, they played for the same professional team, um, but then they were natives from different countries. And so for the World Cup, they, they played for different teams. And it just so happened that uh, in that moment, one of them was the goalkeeper and the other was the leading scorer and they were teammates and they had to uh, take a penalty shot against each other. Um, and uh, so uh, you, you just think of how foreign that is, um, you know, uh, and then to say, nope, uh, you're on the same team. Like, it doesn't matter how much their professional relationship was. Uh, they were on opposite teams at that moment. And uh, each one was fighting for the win. Uh, and to, to say, we're on the same team. He's, he's clothed us with a garment of salvation. We are the saved. He has saved us. We're, we're not, uh, for as much as we have fought against him, his love uh, relentlessly fights for us and says, uh, by my grace, I'm, I, I came to save you. I came to bring you onto my team um, and uh, to, to be together with him. And, uh, and then just the response that that evokes inside of us, the, the great love uh, that he gave at such a great cost. Yeah, great ideas. Uh, if you are starting to boil this down to a central unifying thought uh, theme, um, what ideas are you working with? even if it's not kind of in a, a finished form, uh, what is your main thought or theme going to be uh, at this stage? Ideas? I'm, I'm just captivated by Christ as I read this. Um, and of course, would be a, a concept that builds on the, the mm -hmm. imagery there. Um, but, um, you know, Christ's name is not specifically mentioned in here anywhere, but I, I think to let it rise to that prominence of being uh, thematic, uh, being captivated by Christ, uh, however you want to put those two words together, um, mm -hmm. seemed to be a real good marriage for me. Um, and then then just uh, dividing the text, um, you know, the first three verses fit together well. Uh, they really seem to show us the resolve of the Savior yeah. um, and uh, who he is and what he came to do. And then the, the last two verses really seem to show the response of the saved. So, right. Yeah, the name Christ isn't here, but of course the Lord has anointed me. Uh, so um, it is, it is in a way, right? Not in Greek, but um, but the the concept is there for sure. Uh, Nathan, some ideas? Yeah, I think if you wanted to take advantage of the 
the oaks of righteousness and, and mm. uh, garden causes seeds to grow. We didn't talk a whole lot about that, but right. um, something like sturdy in Christ or deeply rooted in Christ would work well. Last time I preached on this, one that I did is I was moving in the direction that that I was describing, aiming at the, the despair side of people, even though they've been Christians for a while, would be Jesus turns us downside up and how he takes us where we are and then continues to point us to his finished work instead of our definitions of ourself. And that always ends well and always is resilient too. So something like that would be okay. another possibility. Great. Yeah, I've mentioned before that the great exchange imagery keeps coming to my mind. So something with a gift exchange um, is another idea. Uh, if you wanted to kind of take that angle for law and gospel thoughts, that that could work. Um, or even, you know, new clothes for Christmas, um, or something like that, picking up on those uh, passages that are there in um, verse 3, verse 10. Uh, yeah, from Jesus' point of view, from our point of view, um, those different sections uh, just enable us to see it from different angles. Um, any further thoughts for preachers before we close? If not, I'll, I'll wrap it up there and turn things over to preachers. The Lord bless you as uh, you take this uh, excellent opportunity to proclaim the grace of our Savior who has come to set us free and to bring us unshakable joy.